Well, we've been coming through a series of uh, sermons, and today we're going to bring it to a conclusion uh, on uh, Sermon on the Mount. And I appreciate your patience through this, because it's been a long series of sermons, and we've wanted to really get into everything that Jesus said. Uh, this, the way I view it, is kind of the law for New Testament Christians. Of course, Moses received the law on Mount Sinai as the Israelites came out of Egypt uh, at the time of the Exodus. And it was quite a long, uh, enduring law that was given to him, and he passed that along to the Israelites. Uh, I look at this as kind of a New Testament law given to us by Jesus. Of course, what he teaches us goes throughout the gospel accounts. So from the time he began to the time he finally departed and ascended back up to heaven, he had much to teach us. But I think somehow this is the core of his teaching. And we've learned a lot. So uh, we're going to bring this to a conclusion today. We'll be here in Matthew chapter 7 once again. And uh, we left off last time on verse 15. So we'll begin there. He has some, we can call these concluding remarks. He kind of sums up the whole Sermon on the Mount and uh, what we're going to read today. So we'll start here in Matthew 7, verse 15. Some of the final comments he makes to the group that he was speaking to and also to us as his followers, his disciples. He says in Matthew 7, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And such was the case in Jesus' day. There were false teachers, false prophets. And you know what? That situation has endured down throughout the history of Christianity. 2,000 years approximately of Christianity, there have been false prophets and false teachers along the way, even to our day today. So Jesus knew that this was important for us to be reminded of, and he gives us some pointers here. He gives us some wisdom that we should be careful. Now, first of all, what is a false prophet? A false prophet or a false teacher is a person who spreads false prophecies and false teachings that are not biblical while claiming to speak the word of God. Now, notice Jesus describes them as wolves, ferocious wolves, but they're in sheep's clothing. So they want to appear to be godly people. They want to appear to be on God's side in every respect, but often they're not. Now, what can be confusing is sometimes there's truth mixed in with the lies that they teach. There's God's truth mixed in with perhaps their own ideas or their own uh, ways of looking at things. And being ferocious wolves, it means that these false teachers or false prophets do not have our best interest at heart. They're trying to separate us from God. And you know, that's what a wolf will do when it comes to attacking a flock of sheep. A wolf will look for the straggler, the one who's not close to the flock, perhaps the one that's sick or the one that, you know, seems to be separated somehow. So there's a couple of lessons to be learned here. Stay close to the flock. <laughs> Put yourself in the middle of the flock, the church, 
and stay there. Don't go straggling off, wandering in your own way, and, you know, try to stay spiritually healthy in all that you do. So you won't be a target. So be careful, and you need to consider, you know, when you listen to teachers or, or prophets, so to speak, they may appear to be Christian, but they may be hiding error within the truth that they speak about. I was talking to uh, Eddie here before services, and he was talking about a group of uh, individuals who came to their neighborhood and were going door to door. And uh, it turns out that they were a Mormon group, fine people, I'm sure. But the only problem with that, their, them and their theology is they do not believe that Jesus is divine or truly the Son of God. So they like to talk about Jesus and to be friendly with you as they discuss things, but you have to understand where they're coming from. And that is a big error. If you don't believe that Jesus is divine and the Son of God, that's a problem there. And, you know, the more you talk to them, and especially if they're trained to be very convincing, you can become confused or there can be doubts entering your mind. And that's just one group. There are others like them in, on the scene today. In fact, this was a problem in Old Testament times as well. Uh, I want to refer to Jeremiah 14, verse 14. Jeremiah verse, uh, 14, verse 14 in the time of ancient Israel and ancient Judah, this is what God had to warn them about. He spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. Then the Lord said to me, this is what God says, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. So today, a number of the false teachers on the scene, and there are plenty around who like to mix truth with their own ideas. And it's the same situation. It's the same mindset that they have. Delusions, their own private uh, teachings, their own uh, private prophecies that they like to make. False prophets, false, false teachers are still popular today. You know, there aren't too many Christian bookstores around anymore. You know, most of the Christian items are ordered online. But I remember a couple that used to be in the area here and going into uh, the Christian bookstores, you would find whole sections on, uh, you know, writings of different somewhat familiar authors, authors rather, who don't always have the truth. They don't always have the Bible teachings down pat, and they have a lot of their own ideas mixed in with them. And these Christian authors kind of come and go. Many of them are very fine and, and really stick to Bible uh, scripture, but some wander off, let's put it that way, unfortunately. Uh, and they're writing about personal ideas that they have, about world events. It's very popular these days to write about prophecy and whatever's happening in the world, well, where does this fit into Bible prophecies? And they come up with their own thoughts and their own understandings on that. And it's the same thing on cable TV, cable networks, radio shows. You hear discussions on similar s subjects. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. 
because there have been a lot of prophecies that have been made recently that have not come to pass. <laughs> and one of the signs that God gave in the Old Testament of who his prophets are, everything that they prophesy comes to pass because God gave them the word, God gave them the vision. So when God works with a prophet and gives them the message, it always comes to pass. So we need to be careful today. As I said, when things that they prophesy do not come to pass, what happens to these people? Well, they kind of disappear into the woodwork <laughs> because there's no accountability for what they prophesy or, or the wrong things that they preach. When they don't come to pass, you know, they don't come on the air and say, well, you know, I was wrong. I'm a, I'm a false prophet, I guess that makes me. Well, yeah, that's right. And you know what the penalty was for being a false prophet back in Old Testament days? It was death. Amen. Death. So God has always been very careful. He's always been very strongly against anybody who makes false prophecies. That's why in our congregation here, and I know in our denomination, we are all very careful not to stray from God's word and you know, share our own ideas. If we share our own ideas, we'll be sure to tell you, this is not in the Bible, this is you know, my take on it. But we're always very careful to represent God's word honestly, okay? And we, we will be accountable for everything that we say from up here. And if you have a question about something that somebody preaches, uh, you have the right to come up to them and say, I don't understand what that means or where you found that in the Bible. And that's why whenever we preach, we always show you our reference in the Bible. Not all churches do that. But we want to be very careful that we, we preach God's word honestly. So uh, many of these people who are false teachers or false prophets today, as has always been the case, they enjoy their popularity. They like it when people come to them and want to hear their thoughts and what they have to say. And today they like being popular and being invited to speak on the media, different you know, shows on cable or radio shows. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of them grow quite wealthy in this uh, industry that they're in <laughs> of being a false teacher or a false prophet. So I, I get very concerned when somebody is sharing their thoughts on God's word and it comes to the surface that they are multi-millionaires from doing what they do. Because I don't know if it's God's intention, in fact, I'm pretty sure it isn't, that uh, his teachers and preachers are to become super wealthy and his prophets. When you read the stories of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they were not rich men. And they weren't real popular. In fact, people hated to hear from them because they didn't like the message they were given about coming destruction on Israel and Judah because of their sinfulness and idolatry. Again, here in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13, this is God's take on the situation with so many false teachers and false prophets. He says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. 
You know, you may have favorites that you like to listen to or watch on cable TV. You need to be, be very careful. Listen carefully to what they're talking about. You know what the gospel is, the true gospel. And uh, when you identify somebody to be a false teacher or false prophet, I would kind of, you know, part any kind of acquaintances with them because they've proven themselves to be false. Let's read on now in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 7. Now verse 16, Jesus says, By their fruit you will recognize them. So he's talking about false teachers. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Well, of course not. Or do they pick figs from thistles? No, that's, that's impossible. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, again, checking into a, a teacher's maybe background, you know, what their life is like. Let me give you uh, four points here to consider when you're judging a teacher as to whether they're a true teacher or a false teacher. Number one, does the teacher proclaim Jesus Christ to be divine? the Son of God, and the only true Savior of mankind. And if they don't, I'd be very wary, like uh, these groups that come around trying to convince you of their doctrine. We don't, we don't uh, waver from that. And we need to know and believe that Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God and the only true Savior of mankind. Point, num point number two. Does the teacher proclaim the biblical gospel that we are saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. That's the true gospel. And, you know, I've had dealings with different groups who were very legalistic and, you know, did not rely solely on God's grace and being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation. They preached about all the works that you needed to do to be pleasing to God and acceptable to God. Now, we do believe that we are to be obedient Christians, but we don't obey in order to be saved. We obey because we are saved, and we obey as a response to the grace through which God has saved us. Point number three, are the teachings, are their teachings based solely on the Word of God, the Bible, the Orthodox are generally accepted understanding of Bible scholars down through the ages. Now, I came out of a church previously that had a lot of their own ideas about things of God and especially prophecy and things like that. But uh, as far as the teachers <laughs> were concerned, these were not people who have been educated, who had studied the Bible, uh, and learn the orthodox or generally accepted understanding of the Bible. For example, they felt that uh, the concept of the Trinity was wrong, that uh, it was like an evil doctrine or something like that. Well, listen, the doctrine of the Trinity has existed since apostolic times, and 
all mainstream churches believe that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's just the way it is. And that's what all true teachers of God have taught down through the ages. So I recognize now that that previous group was totally wrong in that respect. So again, are the teachings that they have based solely on the Word of God? In other words, the orthodox, generally accepted understanding of Bible scholars down through the ages. So when we study, we understand what was taught down throughout the history of the church and how the truth that we now hold as church doctrine came to be. And where in the Bible, you know, these individuals look to prove these things. And point number four, does the teacher demonstrate godly character qualities in their own personal life? You know, there have been times over the years that watching televangelists, you come to understand that this person has been married three or four times. <laughs> they are multimillionaires. Uh, you know, there have been scandals in their church. And you think, is this really a godly teacher? who has tried to live their lives based on God's word, you know, godliness, the Bible tells us, godliness with contentment is great gain. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And yeah, we've seen scandals amongst so-called teachers of God, they claim to be, but uh, some of them have ended up in jail. <laughs> and you read stories in the, in the paper or you see it on the news of churches where there have been sexual scandals in churches and uh, people have absconded with funds from the churches and uh, this never should be in the church. So again, a proof of whether someone is a true teacher of God or a prophet of God, you need to look at what's going on in their lives. I'm not saying that the person is perfect, but uh, sometimes God has ways of showing what's going on behind the scenes. Okay, let's look now at Matthew 7, uh, verse 23. Notice what Jesus says here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, judgment day in other words, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So as we learned the other week, I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, God sets the terms for salvation and for our Christian lives. You know, once we accept Jesus as Savior, well, that's a part of it. Some people never accept Jesus as a Savior. They claim to be Christians. They go about doing the things that they think a Christian should do without studying and learning what God expects of us after we become Christians. 
So the scribes and the Pharisees, for example, of Jesus' day, believed that just being related to Abraham or by obeying the law of Moses, they had a free ticket to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus corrected them on several occasions. If you remember, he said to them, you know, just because you descended from uh, Abraham or you're Jewish or, you know, you do your best to obey all the, the laws of Moses, the sacrificial law and, and this and that, you think you got it made and Jesus said, you're wrong. Jesus taught that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So this is an important you know, point to consider. What does Jesus expect of us? What does God the Father expect of us in our Christian life? In order for us to enter into the kingdom of God, what is expected of us? He doesn't say, well, just do your best and come judgment day, you know, we'll get out the scales and we'll put your sins on one side of the scales and your good works on the other side of the scales and hopefully it's going to balance out in your favor. That's not how we're saved. God doesn't say do your best. He says you need to be perfect in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the crux of the matter is, how does that perfection come to us? Well, it comes to us because it is credited to us by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through his sacrifice on the cross. Through God's grace, our sins have been wiped away and Jesus' perfect righteousness, because don't forget, he was the lamb without blemish, he was the one, the only one, who walked this earth, who never sinned in his life. His perfect righteousness is credited to us when we accept him as our personal Savior. So you see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law felt it was all their own effort. They did their best to keep the, the, the law, the sacrificial law, uh, the washings, the, you know, all, all the things that they had to go through, or just the fact that they were descended from Abraham. They were part of the Jewish nation. They felt that they had a free ticket, and they were headed straight for the kingdom of God, and Jesus came along and said, you got it wrong. Unless you have me as your personal Savior, there's no way that I can credit my righteousness to you. So what do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves. We have to come before God and repent of our sins. Amen. We have to admit that we're sinners. And as I've told you, that's really hard for some people to do. Amen. Because they think very highly of themselves. Why? Because they compare themselves to others. And you can always find somebody worse off than you. Somebody who's a greater sinner, a murderer, a drug dealer, this or that. You say, well, I've never done any of that stuff, so I'm, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> I'm pretty good. God will recognize that. No. Nobody enters the kingdom of God. Nobody gets to heaven without being perfectly righteous. And we've all already failed in that, haven't we? <laughs> because we've all sinned 
and we still struggle with sin from time to time. So that's not going to get us into the kingdom of God. There's only one. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. The only way. So you got to come to Jesus Christ. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they were pretty, uh, you know, hardworking law keepers to the best of their ability. But Jesus says that's not going to get you there. Jesus taught that we must be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. This perfection doesn't come by works or human effort. It is credited to you, credited to you by grace. So repent and believe the gospel. That's the gospel we believe in. And don't forget he said here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the Father's will? That we all repent and claim Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's why the Father sent Jesus here to do what he had to do, and he has done everything that he came to do. Now it's all on us. Amen. Repent, claim Jesus as your personal savior, and uh, begin a life as a Christian where you're learning, you're studying, God has the opportunity to correct you when necessary. And Jesus credits his righteousness to you. That's why we're called saints. We're all saints. Why? <laughs> you think, well, I feel uncomfortable with that name. That's what God calls us in the Bible because our sins have been forgiven. They've been blotted away. Yeah, we did those things, but we, through the blood of Jesus, have been proclaimed not guilty. Okay? And until you come to that point in your life where you repent, admit that you're a sinner, Claim Jesus as your Savior. Have his perfection credited to you. You haven't made it. You're not going to be there. So, what is the will of the Father? It is for us to receive Jesus as our Savior. Okay, let's, let's read on here. Finishing up in Matthew 7. Verse 24. Therefore, Jesus says, in conclusion, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built his or her house on a rock. The rain came. Sounds like it's raining out there right now. <laughs> Perfect timing, Lord. <laughs> the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Amen. And who knows who the rock is? Amen. <laughs> Jesus. So we're to build our house, in a sense, our life, if you will, on a firm foundation. And the firmest foundation you can find is Jesus. It said, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built his or her house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's talking about people's lives. Their house, in, in that sense, is their lives. And every day you see people whose lives come crashing down because of everything they're involved in, of everything that's going on in the world. So the proper foundation for your life is Jesus' words. Jesus himself, but his words, his teaching. And it's not just a matter of hearing them, but the doing of them. So people can hear all the messages about Jesus who died on the cross and Jesus who's the savior of the world, unless they take that truth and make it real to themselves by doing it, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. It's very similar to what James said. I'll turn to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. James echoed this same teaching of Jesus. He said, James 1 verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's that simple. It's one thing to hear the gospel preached, but unless you claim it and do it, do what God tells you to do, it's not going to do you any good. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I'm so glad that God invented mirrors or, or made mirrors possible. Can you imagine going through life and never getting the opportunity to actually view yourself, to look in a mirror and to see what you look like? Especially we who consider ourselves to be civilized and living in this, this society. Do you ever look in the mirror at your face and to see something that shouldn't be there? <laughs> Maybe your hair got blown away in the wind and it's, it's a mess, it's a fright. Or sometimes we look in the mirror and we see something stuck in our teeth, a big green thing right in the middle or something that has come out of an orifice of our bodies that's got now on our face, what do you want to do when you see that immediately? You want to get out a handkerchief or a tissue and wipe it off and fix yourself so that you look presentable. And what James is saying, what would it be like if you were the kind of person who looked in a mirror and saw something shocking <laughs> or something that needed to be fixed right away and you just ignored it and did nothing about it? He says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, we just heard the perfect law in the Sermon on the Mount, the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he or she will be blessed in what he does. Amen. So the gospel is a beautiful thing, and many people have heard it, but unless you take hold of it and, and make it work in you, it's not doing you any good, okay? So Jesus said it, and now James says it too. This Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful, powerful, outstanding message where Jesus kind of summed up so much truth in what he said to this group of people. And it wasn't just here, because he said it continually throughout his ministry here on earth. And now it's been recorded by the uh, writers of the uh, Gospels so that we could read it over and over and over again. 
And that's why we do it, because we need to continually remind ourselves, what exactly did Jesus say? Because sometimes we might forget. But it's not enough to just hear it. We got to apply it. We got to make it work in our lives. And those are the people who have the ticket to the kingdom of God. It's not anything we've done to deserve it. It's all by the grace of God. It's all by the mercy of God. So when you think of the law that you have to follow as a Christian, when I think of this, I don't normally turn back to the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. Those were fine. But now we're talking about a New Testament law, a new covenant law, if you will, for people who actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So the Holy Spirit is in us, leading us along the way. I love that prophecy from the Old Testament about the time that the Spirit, God is going to send the Spirit, and you're going to hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk ye in it. <laughs> and that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's, there's the Spirit of God that has come to us once we receive Jesus as our Savior, and the reason he's dwelling in us is to show us the way. And you know, there are some times in our lives where we're going to do something stupid, something we know we shouldn't do. Maybe we're going to lie, or uh, maybe, you know, we're going to do something else that we know is wrong. And something in us says, oh, think this through. Is this something God wants you to do or not? But sometimes we go against that anyway. You know, I got I to gotta tell this lie, or I got to do that. But God has put his spirit in us to help us. Now, in the Old Testament, nobody had the Holy Spirit except for maybe a chosen few. King David and some of the others that were striving to obey and lead godly lives. But today, we all have the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are Christians, who are believers. So God works with us in a, in a different way than he worked with the, the Old Testament uh, Israelites. So we're so thankful that Jesus has given us the law. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul calls it the law of Christ. So that's what we're called on to obey today. And uh, we obey it because we want to please God. We do it as a response to the mercy and salvation God has granted us. So I hope you've enjoyed this study, and it certainly gives us a lot to think about and to remind ourselves of. Let's close with prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the calling you've given us. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. It's brought us to a deeper understanding of what you want us to do in this life. And let us never take our calling for granted. Uh, we want to respond to you by leading lives that you're going to be pleased with. And we know it's all you're doing, and we look forward to the time that your son will return and our change will take place from physical to spirit. And we will be with you for eternity. And what a time that is going to be. And when we look back on it, we're going to be there. We're going to be in the kingdom of God. We're going to be in heaven with you through nothing we've done to deserve it. In fact, we have spent a lot of time probably going in the exact opposite direction of the way you wanted us to go, but by your grace and by your mercy, we've been forgiven. And uh, your goodness is something that we will praise for all eternity. 
So we love you, and thank you, thanks again for your word. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.